Welcome back to Fast Forward. It's been a hectic week here on campus with everything from mentor training with collaborative events with the NatWest Accelerator down in Spinning Fields and the Growth Hub on the power of mentoring for females and women in business. And Tech Manchester is hitting the road and heading down to London for London Tech Week to speak at the Get Ahead Life Festival and also uh, take part in the events with Tech Nation and at Facebook. But today we're going to talk about something very serious and it affects everybody daily. Cybersecurity is a reality of running a business. And despite several high-profile attacks, it's still being overlooked. In 2017, the cost of cyber attacks to small and medium-sized businesses amounted to more than £2 million on average per organisation. The costs are insane. It'll damage IT assets and disruption to business. And for those that do experience significant cyber attacks, I believe that they can go out of business within two years. It's a pretty sobering thought. In this episode, we're going to talk through the risks and the steps that you can take to stop getting hit by an attack down the line. And we've brought a great expert in today. Holly Grace Williams is Technical Director at Manchester-based cybersecurity firm Sikorma, CyberGuru and Hedgehog Mama. Oh yeah, I'm glad that the hedgehog was brought up. Should we talk about hedgehogs or cyber first? I'm happy either way. Well, let's let's touch on the cyber very briefly and then okay. let's get into the real thing we want to talk about, which is hedgehog moments. But Holly, tell us a bit about you. So my background is penetration testing. That's my my trade. And, now, and what is penetration testing? Oh, this is the thing, isn't it? When you've done a job for a long time, you forget that, that that word just sounds strange to people. I guess most people would know that as ethical hacking. That seems to be the, the, the common term that people use. We don't use that term in industry very often. Penetration testing is the term that we use. And it is effectively the job title for people who break into computers for a living. We do that obviously legally with the authority of the organisation. And the general purpose is... An organization will bring us in to assess their security and in some cases to break in. And then we demonstrate how we did that so that they can make uh, mitigating changes and, and apply some security fixes and hopefully prevent people they didn't pay to break in from breaking in. That sounds a pretty crazy and interesting job. How did you get into it? Like, Where did it all start for you? This is this is a, a thing I'm always asked. I do a lot of events and no doubt we'll talk about some of the public speaking stuff that I've done uh, in a moment. But at the end of most of the talks that I do, people always come up and they say uh, two things. It's how do I get into pen testing and how did you get into pen testing? And, mm-hmm. and those are likely very different. Now, in this day and age, people can do things like ethical hacking degrees. So there's now an academic route into pen testing. Or you can go from a an associated job, so something like uh, sysadmin or network engineer or something like that, the people who build computer systems, and then they can move mm. into breaking computer systems. Uh, for me, though, my route was a little bit different. Uh, I'm ex-military. So I, I joined the military with the intention of... Um, I wanted to play with satellites and I couldn't afford my own. So I, so I, <laughs> I borrowed the militaries for a while. That, that was my plan. I did, and what did you do there in the in the military? Uh, so I did five and a half years in the military. I joined as a junior soldier and then went for late commission. But the actual trade that I did was site security officer. I generally summarized that as the installation, maintenance and decommissioning of secure communication systems. Okay, that sounds completely insane and mind-boggling. And uh, Hedgehog Mama, I've probably got more equipped to have a conversation about that. Tell us about that part of your life. It it seems to be just a thing that has become my brand, that I have a hedgehog. (laughs) It's a bit of a weird thing. Uh, Yeah, I I wanted a small pet that I could... um, plausibly deny was an animal that I'm keeping in my in my house just something <laughs> that I could like deal with so I was thinking of like you know rabbits yeah. or even maybe something a little bit unusual like a chinchilla or a daegu or something like that mm-hmm. and I basically went through the list of 
um, things that are low maintenance and that I can deal with easily. And um, my my hedgehog is basically more of a roommate than she is a pet. So What's she, her name? Amy. If anyone gets that reference, you're an absolute hero. Um, Amy is the name of Sonic the Hedgehog's girlfriend. Okay. That's where that comes from. <laughs> Um, but yeah, she just she lives in the house. I tend to describe her as free range, which means that she has a house but doesn't spend any time in it. And she generally just runs around a lot. Oh, that sounds so cute. I can totally relate. I live in a building where there's big, massive signs saying no pets all yeah. over it. So I can totally relate. Um, so let's get into the more serious side of the mm-hmm. chat for today. Um, cybersecurity. When um, a business is starting up and they need to be thinking about this um, what should they be thinking about or what does it mean um, to them that they should be thinking about and what risks are there to um, overlooking it? I think um, the thing that organisations should be looking at is that all organisations are at risk from cybersecurity threats. This isn't necessarily that their organisation would be targeted. It might be. It depends on the organisation. But a lot of attacks are fairly indiscriminate. So a lot of attacks will be automated or sent out en masse. A really good stereotype for that would be things like phishing emails, so Mm -hmm. malicious emails that are sent en masse to a lot of organisations, effectively just trying to find anyone that they can coerce into opening a malicious email attachment or something like that. So because even if you're not the kind of organisation that's likely to be targeted, you are at risk of these kinds of things. I think you just need a general awareness of the kinds of risks that there are out there. And the great thing for small organisations is they have a small attack surface. The attack surface is generally just the things an attacker can target. Mm. So there isn't so what much to worry about. What kind of things would they be for them? Well, um, so certainly staff members through social engineering, that's a big thing. Hopefully everyone is aware that social engineering is a thing. If you haven't heard that term before. Explain it. it. It's just, it's the, the art of um, coercing a staff member into disclosing some information or performing some action that they shouldn't perform. So most of the time we talk about this in the case of sending malicious emails to a staff member. That might be an email that has a malicious attachment or it might be uh, an email requesting you to disclose some information or make a payment or something like that doesn't have to be an email, though. This is a big thing. We talk about uh, phishing emails a lot, but it could just as easily be a LinkedIn message, a Twitter message, or something like that. Or hilariously, one I was talking about recently, a malicious fax. A malicious fax. Yeah, that How happened. How does that work? Um, in the same way that a malicious email works. So the email would generally have... send this amount of money to this yeah, person. Yeah, so uh, effectively that. There's some scenario which is which is placed. In this particular case, that was it. Um, it was... Uh, the the um oh there's an inheritance fund for you it's ten million dollars if you send us three hundred dollars of administration fee we'll send you the ten million dollars it's that kind of mm-hmm. what's often known as a four one nine scam a standard scam but instead of over email it came over fax which in 2018 as this attack took place it's funny now but it's it's the same best thing it could be any, over any messaging system I think um, I think people would probably be traumatised that a fax came through or that there was even a fax machine that and a number that somebody could yeah, send I think it, it just depends on the business that you mm. work in if you think of uh, high tech companies they're, they're very unlikely to have a fax machine and would probably be confused by the noise a fax machine makes yeah. but there are still organisations out there that yeah. use solicitors. them solicitors solicitors healthcare as well yeah. they often use things like that yeah so what steps could uh, startups, um, like you think about the kind of de- the demographics and the finances that um, businesses that are just trying to get off the ground have. I mean, they have very, you know, um, sort of cash flow that they could invest into sort of robust security systems. But what kind of steps and things could they put in place to help protect themselves? 
Uh, a lot of the things for, for small businesses are, are basically just hygiene stuff. When we use that term, we, we mean uh, the basics. So things like having strong passwords. And there's several ways that you can achieve that, but the goal of having strong passwords, passwords that cannot be easily guessed and are not reused across websites. The problem with reuse being if one of those websites is compromised, that they're all compromised. So dealing with passwords is the first problem. The second problem is dealing with social engineering that we talked about there. And just generally being aware that, okay, it might be a malicious email, but it might be a malicious phone call, something we haven't mentioned. Yeah. Someone trying to coerce you into performing an action or opening a file that you're not expecting, a, a potentially malicious email attachment. Then other basics like um, having antivirus software can help. It's not a perfect solution, but it can help. Uh, and then finally, for the actual computer systems, simple things like keeping them up to date or for uh, very small organizations that don't have time to worry about those things, enabling automatic updates. Yeah. Uh, updates are are key, and I know that we get them infuriatingly <laughs> regularly. But um, it's it's so vital that they're that they're done. Um, it sounds like people are the the weakest link, not the not necessarily the the technical side of it. From what from what you're saying, would that be a fair comment or? Not in my experience, but I imagine a lot of people would um, possibly refute that. I think talking about the human weakness is just a common thing because a lot of people worry that if an attack is successful because of a social engineering attack, then they might feel someone was to blame for that or they mm. might worry that they might be to blame with that. So I think that's why uh, that comes up a lot. Also around social engineering, there's a lot of different attacks. So physical access attacks, it's the breaking into buildings side of things. Yeah. Um, I think people. I hear feel, you're quite an expert at that. Yeah, can I don't you look give like us some examples? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether you can share any of your secrets. Yeah, I certainly can. That there are no big secrets to it. Um, I, I spoke recently, in fact, at um, InfoSecurity Europe about the fact that. Uh, a lot of physical access stuff just doesn't work the way that people expect it to. So people would think if there is a stranger in the office that they would challenge them or someone would challenge them. I'm sure someone will challenge this stranger. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the thought process. Oh, I don't recognize that person. Someone will deal with it. And if nobody yeah. actually texts the staff. Or someone must have checked that that person should be here. Uh, exactly. And and that and that's the problem. So people often don't. Or you can often build a scenario in such that people wouldn't. Physical access generally works the same way as it does with, with any other attack. We're trying to gain access to things that we shouldn't gain access to. And when you're inside of a building, it's often easier. I don't necessarily need to hack into your computers if there's just sensitive documents lying around. Mm. And sensitive documents might just have personal information on them, that's all. Don't need to steal them, just take a photograph of them. And then you're right and you're right again. Yeah. Is there ways that um that small businesses can make sure that their people are up to speed in terms of providing them with support to kind of make sure that they are aware you know what can what can small businesses do to sort of empower their employees to be more cyber aware i think there's two things the first being this this thing that we have to talk about building a cyber security culture which sounds good but can be harder than than it than it sounds but it's generally just empowering staff members to talk about security if staff members are making poor security choices that might be just because they're ill-informed and if they start talking about things that have happened things like um, phishing emails that they have seen, if they spot that an email is a scam or seems suspicious in some way, if they talk to other staff members about that, they might help the other mem members with that. They mm. might not have realized that it was a scam. Certainly with generic phishing where it's sent to a bulk number of users, it's very likely that several of them received it. Yeah. And if one of them spots that it's a scam, they can help the others out. And it's not difficult to, to kind of create that that targeted approach is it because it's like yeah. it's first name dot surname exactly. blah 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 yeah which you can pull a list off linkedin if, if you want to yeah. i'm pretty and sure that's how they must do it uh that would be a terms of service <clears throat> violation on linkedin okay sorry However, we wouldn't do that 
<laughs> However, I'm pretty sure that criminals don't care about terms of service violations, so that's probably how most criminals do it. The, the generic term we would use for that is open source intelligence gathering, which sounds very good, but a lot yeah. of that is just Googling information about staff members, yeah. guessing emails. So it might be first name dot surname or it might be first initial surname or something yeah. like that. doesn't matter. Email's free. Send it to each of the possible patterns and one of them will land. Yeah, it's big business, isn't it? <laughs> um, startups in terms of how they work, I guess the way we're kind of describing things here are thinking about small businesses that have structured sort of CRM systems and, you know, fully integrated sort of uh, systems that sit behind a nice, lovely firewall and is see it, like safer than most but the reality for startups is that they are using um, multiple freemium uh, platforms, you know, everything from Eventbrite, MailChimp, SurveyMonkey, every possible kind of um, cloud-based platform that they can to s- stitch together what looks like a seamless business on the outside to their customers. It's that kind of swan, um, I guess, uh, uh, analogy. So on the top, they're, sl- you know, they're gliding across the water, but underneath their feet are going like billy-o. Um, how, does, how, do, how could you deploy like a cyber strategy around that um, when they're relying on so many other sort of third parties to protect their data for them? I think uh, even even large businesses are reliant on a lot of third parties. The supply chain is a genuine risk, um, both in terms of if you have lots of disparate systems, it's difficult to keep on track of them. And if you're trying things like keeping everything up to date and there's a lot of everything, it makes it more complicated. Mm. I also think there's this kind of misconception around um, things you pay for must be more secure than things that are free, which isn't necessarily the case. There's no problem with um, things like freemium products. Um, yeah, both paid for and free products have vulnerabilities in them. The first step to dealing with vulnerabilities is keeping them up to date. I think one of the best things a company can do is just try and track the systems that they've got. Mm. Supply chain becomes a difficult thing. Don't forget thing. about one. <laughs> yeah, supply chain becomes a difficult thing when you don't remember who's in your supply chain. So just keep a list of um, the people who have access to the data in your company, which data they should have access to, and if they're using systems, keeping those up to date. Um, A lot of times that can be as easy as um, subscribing to that company's list of uh, updates. You know, Mm. different companies have different ways of getting that information out there. Um, Or as I mentioned earlier, things like automated updates. Yeah. That that takes the the, the The problem The labor, which is the time that they don't have. Yeah. But if they have a bit of money or if there's a, a small amount of money that they should be investing, what kind of cyber cyber security investments should they make? What would you think? Oh, this is where my bias comes out. Oh. <laughs> you should all buy a pen test. The reason that I would say that is... From Sakorma. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the pen tests are telling us to buy a pen test. No, uh, I think what, what organizations should do is look for things like um, cybersecurity maturity assessments or alternatively, sorry, say like that again. A cybersecurity immaturity, maturity, assessment. a maturity assessment. Okay, what, what is that? So, uh, cybersecurity maturity assessments, or also things like cyber essentials. Generally, that's um, a product or a service that aims to look at an organization's security holistically. So, instead of just concentrating on one aspect, or is this system up to date, or is this company following that process, it tries to look at um, all of the aspects of an organization's security and effectively just point them at the things that they haven't considered. So if a company's done really well on uh, security protections, so you've got good passwords and you're keeping your systems up to date, mm-hmm. maybe they've forgotten about things like incident response, backups, those kinds of things. Yeah. So it effectively just uh, works works through with the company all of the areas of security, from policy through protection, through uh, incident response to minimizing impact, and effectively just points them in the right direction so that either they get a nice feeling that their investment is being well spent, or for a lot of companies, they'll get a list of things that they forgot about. Yeah, which is obviously a huge, um, 
risk that they can mitigate by investing in and resolving those issues once they know what yeah. they are. And an investment can be um, simply just paying more attention to it. it. It could be getting a third party in to help them out and those kinds of things. But um, things like backups, it might just be a case of, um, you know, our backups frequent enough, our backups mm-hmm. being tested it's no good taking backups of data if you're not actually checking that the backup is being successful. Oh, I, can, I have a story from my previous employment where that Go happened. Ahead. Oh, it's horrendous. So um, I probably shouldn't say the uh, the name, but it was back. What does it rhyme with? <laughs> <laughs> if anybody looks at my LinkedIn, they'll find it. Um, but it was um, back in the day of old servers mm-hmm. in in comms rooms in buildings those days. Mm-hmm. And it was back in the days when the backups were backup tapes that had to be changed, um, changed daily. And um, yeah, the server failed. And um, then when we went to check the um, the backup tape, and the tape failed. So it was like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, is, that's it entirely. Yeah, and, and horrendous. Magnetic tapes do do degrade. Mm-hmm. I have a, a similar story for it. It felt like a near miss, and then we found out very quickly it wasn't a near miss. I worked with an organisation who. Just before I had started with them, uh, they, they had a problem with their network. And what happened was their office is a little bit in the middle of nowhere. So a part of that is they have their own water tower. If the water system goes down, people can still wash their hands after going to the bathroom and things like that. The water tower is on the roof. It caught a leak and it came through the ceiling. Now, obviously, they rushed to the scene to see the damage and they walked into the office <clears throat> and they, they realized that none of the office had been affected. It had effectively gone down the stairwell. Okay. So they thought, this is brilliant. Of course, it's inconvenient. We'll have to like paint the stairwell and things like that. But none of the important documents or, or laptops, PCs seem to have been affected. Yeah. But of course, what was in the stairwell was the server room. Oh, no. So everything was ruined. And the, the problem there was just the scale of things. They never expected that all of their servers would be uh, affected at the same time. I guess a, a more common example of that would be things like ransomware, where companies don't necessarily think, what if a hundred machines are infected? They might just yeah. think it'd be one or two. But yeah, in that particular case, that was... Uh, we ran in, thought everything was fine, checked the PCs, everything looked good. But yeah. on second look, actually, it was quite a lot of damage. Yeah, horrendous, very difficult and hard to recover as a business. Yeah, and of course, where companies have an incident response plan that tells them what to do in these instances, and the incident response plan talks about nothing but hacking and cyber attacks, and actually that was just a flood. Yeah, or it could be a fire or any of yeah. those types of kind of incidents. Yeah. So if there's um, maybe two or three things that any sort of small business owner, startup, um, could do today um, after they listen to this podcast, what would they be, um, Holly, to help improve their protection? Yeah. So the two that people would normally jump on would be system updates and passwords. But I think everyone's heard that before. So the two that I want to highlight would be... So a, definitely do those. <laughs> I think everyone should be doing those. I want I want to have the general confidence that people are at least aware of those things. Yeah. And I think the two that they may not have considered is an incident response plan and testing backups. Those are the two. Yeah. Things you might not have considered. Yeah. I think we could probably start on a whole conversation of how do you test backups? <laughs> and that's, it's an awkward thing as well, because how do you test backups without um, affecting production? If you mm. have a production system that's running and you want to restore some some data to it, do you need to turn that production system off? Mm. The easy alternative is, well, get a second system that you can restore data to, and then there's a cost associated with that. So it's awkward, but I think it differs so greatly for every organization. They should at least have that kind of thought experiment how can we test our backups? And then once they've worked that out, the second question should be how frequently should we test our backups? Yeah, I think it's definitely start, important to start that mm. um, dialogue. Yeah, You're really passionate about this subject. 
Holly, and I know that you spend a lot of time um, out in the community educating um, small businesses, individuals, big organisations. Talk to us a bit about that, um, some of the stuff that you've done and also where people might be able to go to find out more information or, or attend events to learn more. I think a lot of people make the presumption that finding out about security is going to be costly and, and maybe it's it put off and they never investigate it because they think, you know, um, exams, certifications, training courses can all be very costly. But there's a lot of community events. There's a lot of um, small and medium companies just coming together to share information, those kinds of things. So recently, yesterday, in fact, I was at one of UK Fast's events, their Cybersecurity 101, mm-hmm. where they just get a group of people together and talk about risks that everyone's probably heard of, but maybe don't know the detail of. And then there's a couple of experts in those fields. But there can be a lot of uh, business to business sharing and a lot of uh, free events that people can attend. So at that event, for example, they were talking about uh, DDoS protection, something we haven't mentioned so far, but it's a risk. What is DDoS? A denial of service attack, a DOS, is um, any attack that aims to impair the operation of a computer system. Generally, people think of that in terms of where an attacker will aim to crash a computer system. So to send so much traffic to a computer that it is unable to function. And that that is a kind of DOS, but it's only one kind of DOS. So there are other ways of doing it. When we say DDoS, that's a distributed denial of service attack, and that's effectively where instead of having one computer sending traffic to another to overload it, you get lots of computers sending traffic to one computer to overload it. So it makes a bandwidth consumption attack easier. But like I said, it's not the only kind of denial of service attack. And what impact would that have on a, on a business? I think that's something that's, it's any, is that e-commerce? No. Uh, no, so it can affect any organization. If you have um, if you have a system that is critical to your business and an attacker can impair that system, it'll impair your business. And impair might mean uh, they stop it operating temporarily, so they maybe um, overload the system for a few hours, or it might be something like uh, deleting critical data. And that'll impair the system and would, mm. of course, be a denial of service attack, but it might be harder for you to deal with. It links back to the backups thing we were talking about earlier, but yeah. A DOS attack or a DDoS attack, that both just um, attackers aiming to impair systems. Now, the next question would be, why would an attacker ever yes. do that? Um, lots of different reasons. Sometimes it might be that the attacker is disgruntled with the organization. So that could be former staff. It's unlikely that your former staff would be able to perform a DOS attack, but they might be able to, on the internet, find someone who can. Who can. And then you can monetize it in that way. So, Would competitors do it to each other? Is that a thing? I, I don't know any no. business that would do that. However, in theory, yes, a competitor could do it to another competitor. Um, completely hypothetically, you can imagine um, gambling companies have the same peak periods. There's things like the Grand National. Yeah. And if one of their competitors was unavailable during that time, it's very likely that their customers wouldn't not bet. Yeah. They would bet it's with somebody else. It's a time-bound thing. They need to make that purchase or yeah. place that bet. Yeah, in, in retail it works in the same way as you can imagine, Black yeah. Friday, all those kinds of things, the big sales. So yes, in theory... Cost- and there's uh, nothing worse on a, on, you know, on a big sales day and you're trying to get onto a site and it's not it's yeah. not playing ball. So you do, you just get frustrated and you bounce off and you go somewhere yeah. else. So disgruntled customers, competitors in theory could do that. Um, you have uh, attackers doing a kind of ransom attack. So most people probably know about ransomware, the, the malicious software attack, but you could do the same thing with a denial of service attack. If I can disrupt your services, maybe I could drop you an email and say, give me some money or I'll take you offline. Mm. Presumably the company would say, of course, we're not paying you. But if you then take them offline, <laughs> they, they might, they might they change might their mind. Their mind. <laughs> yeah. 
Is there obligations for companies in those circumstances to uh, report anything or how would they normally deal with those types of situations if that happened? This is, there's a, there's a lot of complexity in that area, but the, the first thing should be you should come up with a, an incident response plan for dealing with denial of service attacks before you are experiencing a denial of service attack. You should do that for all kinds of attacks that you are aware of. Dealing with an attack during the crisis moment of sustaining an attack is, is very difficult. Um, it can be as simple as having contacts in your suppliers, so knowing who in your internet service provider to talk to. Yeah. But better yet, there's DDoS providers out there who offer services who can protect you against those kinds of attacks. Some of that will be automated, but maybe you want to know the contact details of who to talk about to, sure. to, to deal with that, that kind of thing. In terms of companies having to disclose, it entirely depends on um, what jurisdiction they're operating under. Also, I'm not a lawyer. But one of the things to consider is some people might think uh, under GDPR and things like that, that you only have to uh, announce an attack where personal information has been compromised. Now, I'm not a lawyer, so I won't comment on that. But a thing to consider is a denial of service attack might be a distraction. If I was to go criminal, one of the things that I would consider is if I was able to crash a system at a company, that will get their attention and they will pay attention to that. And then maybe I could take some data at the same time mm. and they wouldn't pay attention to like that. Like a magic trick. Yeah, it's a more complex attack. In my experience, it's rare, but it's possible and it's therefore a thing that companies should think about ahead of time. And maybe if you are writing an incident response plan, you should have a check in there that just says, have the team go deal with the attack, but keep an eye out for other things as well. Yeah, you must have seen some incredible, um, hor- like, I don't know if you could call it horror stories in terms of it, because obviously it's, you know, is it... Or is it incredible breaches or, or really yeah. sort of really bad practice? Um, can you, t- I don't know if you're allowed to share any sort of um, sort of horror stories like that with us in terms of some of the things that you've seen over your career? Yeah, uh, definitely. In terms of uh, major breaches, I've definitely seen that. I think a lot of organizations are aware of things like ransomware attacks and, and, and how impactful they can be. Ransomware attacks generally... Um, they, they very often come over malicious email, a malicious email attachment. Somebody opens it, it infects that machine. Fairly simple, small-scale attack where a single machine is impacted. However, we see uh, more complex attacks like WannaCry. Hopefully everyone has heard of WannaCry. <laughs> or NotPetya, which seems to be less well-known. Which one was that? NotPetya uh, happened just after WannaCry, about four weeks after WannaCry, and, and was very similar. If you were just to read the cliff notes, it was very similar. It appeared to be a ransomware attack, but it self-propagated. And it's that self-propagation that's the problem. So it wasn't that a single machine was infected, a single machine was infected, and then it propagated to other machines. Right. So some organizations found huge portions of their estate impacted. For large organizations, that could be thousands of machines impacted. One of the companies that I worked with had several thousand machines impacted in several countries, which complicates the, yeah. the, the remedial action there. Um, especially if an attack takes place... I think a lot of companies don't don't um, necessarily appreciate until you've lived through major breaches. You don't have all of the information. You might walk into the office one day and find that a large number of machines have been infected, but infected with what and how does it spread and how did it get in? If you start rebuilding machines or restoring backups, will they just be infected again? Those yeah. kinds of things. So dealing with um, incidents in that way is very difficult. And also... Um, the amount of overtime that your IT team is probably going to go through is a trauma is quite quite difficult. I know that um, DLA Piper got hit by NotPetya and they published their uh, overtime 
list, mm-hmm. basically. It's something crazy like 10,000 hours, but I'm sure we can link to that. Um, yeah, that's the thing. You mm. have very likely a small IT team, or if you're a very small business, maybe you have an IT guy. Mm. And for that person to deal with a, a major breach can... He may not even have the experience that you need to, and not know what they're dealing with. Yeah, it can, it can be very difficult. Um, and I think a lot, of, a lot of people who will be involved in a breach maybe don't have the experience. So, for example, if it's a breach where you need to go public, or worse, where somebody makes it go public for you, um, the PR team will need to be involved. And presumably the PR team aren't the most technical people in the world. It's not their area of expertise. Mm. So maybe you'll have to get the IT team to work with the PR team and that might not be a relationship that's, you know, well-founded. They mean, maybe don't work together so yeah. frequently. Um, just to elaborate on what I mean by somebody else making a go public for you, that might be something like you have a breach and a staff member tweets something like, oh, we get the day off today because we got hacked or something like that. And they, <laughs> have they you might... seen any of those in the press? Yeah. <laughs> people Can listening we talk can't... about them? No. We can't talk who it was, but um, yeah, people listening might not. He might not hear the face that I just made at that. Yeah, it happens. Yeah. <laughs> and and that's one of the things about the cybersecurity culture thing. That that staff member probably um, tweeted it thinking, oh, it's a good day for them, not re- not realising the implications of what yeah. that could mean. And it's very likely that they could tweet it and no one would notice. And a small account would get no traction. But it might, and it's the it might that is somewhat mm. scary. I've been to um, cyber events and... Um, particularly um, ones that are not actually tech company based, they've been professional services. And I've been surprised to find that the companies that are there are generally there, at, like literally everyone, every other person that I spoke to, one in particular or every third person that I spoke to, were there because they had been the victim of a cyber attack and they had had an experience of it. Our companies, when they go to like the, the event you were at yesterday, um, um, with the Cyber 101 um, and other events. Are people open about the experiences that they've had? How common is it? You know, do you find that companies are prepared to talk about it or is there even a fear around that? There is still a fear around it. I think it's bad. And hopefully uh, changes in legislation, meaning organisations have to announce breaches, might help that. I think there is a benefit to talking about breaches because of the same thing we talked about earlier, that the more people that are aware of the way that breaches work, the tactics that attackers are using, the more likely they are to spot things like malicious emails, to spot things like mm. social engineering, telephone calls and those kinds of things. When I attend events, um, some people are very open with things that they've experienced. And a lot of the attacks that we talk about are often very small and people consider it a near miss. So maybe they've had one, two, three machines infected. And then they take that as, okay, that was close, but but okay, they deal with that and then uh, put more investment into security, either in time or resources. And and some companies won't talk about it, but make it clear that they've sustained attacks. But I think some of the statistics we talked about earlier, a lot of companies get hit. Yeah. And getting hit might just be something small, uh, accidentally disclosing a record or mm. having a single machine infected. Or it might be something huge where the entire company has to take a period of uh, not performing business activities whilst they deal with the breach. So if um, companies uh, around Greater Manchester and Northwest are looking for to some of the free events that you talked about were, could they maybe find that information or where could they start looking to maybe start getting involved? Follow me on Twitter. <laughs> and what is the, your Twitter handle? At Holly Graceful. The, re- the reason that I say that is uh, because I tweet the ones that I attend or the ones that I want to attend but can't. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of security conferences from that penetration testing point of view. So things like the B-side conferences... 
which are, are free, free to attend, but obviously you still have to get there and, yeah. and stay and things like that. But they ran all over the country. In fact, they're international. So if you're ever abroad, they run them uh, in America, certainly as well. So those are good if you can get to them. But there's a lot of community events as well. I think the best way, other than following me on Twitter, is just talk to people. Mm. What kind of events do you attend? What kind of events do you attend? And, and use, use your networks, you know? Ask on LinkedIn, see where, see where people are going. And I think just try them. Just try an event. Certainly there's there's very small events like, you know, breakfast seminars and things like that where they'll do one or two talks. There's very community-driven events, things like DC groups. Uh, DC groups are just effectively groups of friends who get together and talk about security. Or there's more established things like B-Sides conferences or things like the Cybersecurity 101 that I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Will there be more of those, do you think? Yeah. Yeah, there certainly will be. And I, and I think people should just try them out. And even if the content of the event's not great, the networking opportunity will be. And for people to stand up at those events and say, hey, we suffered a breach and this is what we learned, yeah. will be useful. Yeah. Thank you, Holly. That's been a wealth of expertise and advice there this afternoon. We hope that you're able to take some of that advice and deploy it into your businesses, as with that, you should be able to get truly a proper night's sleep. Thank you. 